Thank you, choir. Appreciate you sharing with us this morning and the work that I know that you guys put into that. There's so many great truths in those hymns that we've sung this morning as the Word of God is proclaimed to us through music and we're reminded of what He has done for us and what He is to us and the worthiness of His name to be worshipped this morning. If you would, turn to chapter 16 in Judges. Uh, We are on the last chapter. Up until this point, we've been doing, as we've been looking at the life of Samson, we've been doing a chapter at a time. 16, we're going to split into two, and we'll finish up up Samson next week on Mother's Day. I know that's a a sermon that you probably never heard on Mother's Day, but uh, that's just the way it fell this time, and so uh, get ready for that, moms. Um, but uh, we're excited. I'll tell you what, this, uh, this passage, uh, <laughs> this passage has weighed on me, uh, and I bring it to you this morning, <laughs> certainly not as one that is perfect, and certainly not as one that stands up here and says that I've got it all put together, and because as I, I think I've told you, or I hope I've, I've conveyed to you through this sermon series, I see a lot more of me in Samson than I would like to admit. Uh, and I, I look at this story and, and it convicts me um, and it challenges me um, and it encourages me. Um, and uh, chapter 16 is no different. Chapter 16 is no different. We've been looking at Samson, if you remember, because the theme of our year is healthy believer, healthy church. And our desire, my, my prayer that our desire is that we would be a healthy the church that would be producing healthy believers. Um, but if we want that to be the case, if we want that to happen, then what we've identified is that we ourselves must be healthy individuals. We ourselves must be healthy Christians who are following the Lord with all of our heart. But there comes a problem when we begin to take our focus off of Christ and put our focus onto the world or our focus onto ourselves. And we looked at 1 John at the beginning of the year and studied some of the symptoms of an unhealthy believer. And now we, are, we have looked at the life of Samson up until this point and we have seen what it means to watch someone completely fall off the rails when they begin to focus on themselves when they disregard the word of God, when they disregard his desires for them, and they begin to look out for their own passions. And what we find in 16 is a completion of that process, a completion of what happens when we as individuals, whether we are saved or not, begin to focus inwardly, to desire our own passions, to ignore sin in our lives, to ignore the warnings of others around us and the warnings of the Lord himself, what we see in 16 is a completion of that process where everything just falls apart. And so if you would, we're going to read just the first uh, few verses here of chapter 16, and we're going to expound on that later. But if you would stand with me as we read God's word this morning. Judges chapter 16, verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went in to her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. 
And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in the front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the Lord of the Philistine, lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will, give, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. Let me pray with you. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we see this life of Samson. Lord, we see this man who was set apart from birth by the word of an angel who spoke on your behalf. Lord, we see a young man who is consumed by his own passions. We see a young man who's consumed by his own ego and his own sense of self, and Lord, yet we see here in chapter 16 especially the destruction that brings. Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that as we look at Samson, that we would look in the mirror, Lord, and that we would be honest about who we are, that we would be honest about sin in our own life, Lord, and that we would understand that it is it is making us unhealthy, Lord, and that we desperately need the great physician. We desperately need Jesus Christ to come and to remove those things. We desperately need grace and mercy this morning. Lord, give us a heart to desire what's yours. Give us a heart to desire to be instruments in your kingdom, Lord, that we may produce the fruit according to the Spirit. Lord, I pray all of this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Just to give you a brief recap, just to catch you up. I know I did this last week, but I want to give you another one. We're not going to take a lot of time with this one, though. But so far in our story, in chapter 13, chapter 13, we have the announcement of Samson's birth. Okay, that's what happens first. You'll remember with me that Judges is all about a cycle right? And the cycle starts with Israel pretty well obeying and following Lord, but then they fall into sin. And the farther they go into sin, they end up needing discipline from the Lord like children often do. And so God disciplines them. Often that comes in the form of uh, some sort of bondage uh, to another people. And so that happens. After that, you have a stage of repentance as the people realize what has happened, they realize their own role in it, and so they ask God to forgive them and to free them. After that, the next, the last stage is that of the cycle is that God sends them a redeemer or a judge who liberates them from that bondage and returns them to the first starting spot where they are following him. But we know if we look at the story of Judges and really throughout the Old Testament that it's not going to be too long before Israel starts the thing all over again. And Samson's birth is no different. They find themselves under the thumb of the Philistines. 
and, and Samson's birth is announced to his parents, and he is, they are told that he will be set apart as a Nazarite, meaning that he is going to be a special character used by God, but in part of that is that they can't cut his hair, they can't have strong alcohol, uh, he can't touch dead things along with other uh, vows and obviously other things that are in the law that he has to continue to obey as well. And so he's, he's told that he's going to be set apart and that he is going to be the beginning of the salvation for Israel. But then we see in 14, we see things begin to change a little bit. In 14, Samson has grown up a little bit and Samson begins to disobey. He starts his disobedience by seeing a young lady of the Philistines and saying he wants to marry her, which is against the law that God has put in place. They weren't to marry people outside of the, the people of Israel. But he sees this and he wants it anyway. Again, he never even talked to her. He just saw her and wanted her. And so he begins to walk that path. We see him kill a lion and then go back to the carcass for honey, thus violating the rule about touching a dead thing. We see him make a wager at his wedding party, which, by the way, was a big drinking fest, again, violating part of his vow. We see him make this wager, and when his wife betrays him by giving up the answer to the riddle that the wager was based on, we see Samson in a rage and on impulse go and kill 30 guys so that he may uh, make up and, and, and fulfill the terms of that wager. And then in chapter 15, we see Samson's self-love. We see his love for who he is come full bore as Samson uh, it goes back to try to find his wife and, and brings her a young goat to try to make peace and finds out that she's been given to another man. And so again, in rage, again, in, in a heart of revenge, he burns down the crops of the Philistines in that area. He burns down the olive orchards. Uh, in that area by gathering all these foxes together and then he leaves he puts himself in isolation but obviously the philistines aren't going to let they stand that stand they pursue him and then we see him have this great victory where he takes the jawbone of a donkey and he destroys a thousand guys okay he de completely defeats a thousand men of the, that the philistines bring against him and in that moment samson's ego just explodes Okay, we couldn't get his head through the door if we opened both of them. All right, he is just a monster of attitude and ego, and he thinks it's all about him. But what happens at the end of 15? At the end of 15, we see God correct him. We see God's gentle hand trying to remind Samson, your power comes from me. And how does God do this? God does this in a very basic way. He just simply, uh, Samson gets to the point where he is dying of thirst. And God opens a rock and gives him water. And it's God's subtle way of just trying to remind Samson, you're not in control here. You're not in control here. Which brings us to 16. 16, 16 is a builder off of 15. Okay, like I just said, you'll remember Samson's brief reminder in 15. Okay, Samson is just had this lesson. And you would think, you would think that in having this lesson, that Samson would understand maybe, hey, I'm not in charge. I'm not as big and powerful as I think I am. But that is not what we see in 16 at all. In fact, what we see in 16 is that Samson is actually worse now than he's ever been. You see there in the first few verses, 
Samson goes up to Gaza and he sees a prostitute. And while he's there, the Philistines gather men so that they can capture him at the city gate. Now think about this for a minute. What is happening here? Samson is so full of himself at this point. He is so involved in his passions. He's so overcome by his lust that he has no regard for anything anymore. He thinks he is all-powerful. He thinks, indeed, that he is invincible. He thinks nothing can stop him. And up to this point, other than being thirsty, what really has? Nothing. Everything that's faced him, he has defeated. And so it gets to the point where his, his desire for lust, his desire for sin, leads him into the heart of the capital of his enemy. Think about that for a minute. Samson's sin is so great and to such a point and his ego and his feeling of invincibility is to such a point that he goes into the heart of his enemy to satisfy it. That's some pretty big steps. And while he's there, the Philistines concoct this plan And Samson just blows it away. The gates at that time would have been set deep. Some of you, many of you probably understand the concept of a a corner post. And oftentimes you dig that really deep. And then oftentimes you'll even set it in concrete so that it does not move. Okay? They probably didn't have concrete, but they set these posts deep for these doors. And these doors would have had iron on them to help protect them they would have had a bar okay that to keep people from going in and out these doors were massive but samson surprises them he goes in the middle of the night rather than waiting till the morning he goes in the middle of the night he grabs the doors and lifts them out of the ground just an amazing amazing feat of strength it reminded me as i was reading this we had at HLG, at one time in one of the dorms, they had fire doors at the end of every hallway. And these fire doors were just solid metal encased. And I can remember we were redoing Nun Cook, which is in one of the older dorms on campus. And we got it downstairs. It took five of us to get it downstairs. And we weren't even lifting it. We were just sliding it along the stairs and getting out of the way. Okay, and we were demolishing, we were demolishing, demolishing, can't talk today, demolishing things anyway, so who cares if it tore anything up at the bottom, just slide it and let it go. We got it down at the bottom and we needed to put it in the dumpster. And I can remember talking to one of my guys and saying, I'll go get the forklift and we'll tip it over in that way. And he's like, yeah, that sounds a good, like a good plan. And I look over and one of my friends from Argentina, who was a goal player, so don't talk bad about soccer players, picks up this fire door in casement and all, lifts it over his head and chucks it into the dumpster. And I look at him, I'm like, I was going to get the forklift for that, but thanks. Saves me a trip. I'm going to go walk over here now. Please don't shake my hand. And yet Samson does something even more incredible than that. He picks up this whole gate for this, do- for this city, lifts it up on his shoulders, and then it says he, pa- he packs it to Hebron. Hebron was 40 miles. This was not just some short trip, okay? It's not like, you know, you see the guys that 
on the world's strongest man that pick up the rocks and they walk it like five feet and then they put it on a pillar. Okay, that's not what Samson does here. He puts it on his back and he walks it 40 miles. It's like another mic drop moment, okay? We talked about last time that, you know, he beats these thousand guys with this donkey jaw and then he drops it. He, like as soon as he gets done with his little poem that's so cute, he drops it and is like, forget it, see you all later. Okay, he does the same thing with these gates. J.D. Greer, who's a pastor over in the Carolinas, says this. He says, the reason that this sermon or that this passage is written down in our Bibles is because when somebody does, somebody picks up a gate and walks it 40 miles, you write it down. Okay, I think it has a little more meaning than that. Okay, this is a reminder to us. It is a picture to us of how great Samson's ego and sin was that he would walk into the heart of his enemies. And, but then it's also a reminder that sometimes... In God's wisdom and in God's grace, he allows it just to continue. He doesn't always stop us. It's kind of like a parent. Sometimes you see a good father, and they are watching their child, and they know he is about to do something incredibly stupid. I know this because I've been the child. He's about to do something incredibly stupid, but rather than stop him sometimes a good father does what sometimes he just lets lets it go okay kid's not going to lose a hand over it okay he's not going to lose his life let let him go let him figure it out on his own he'll figure out that eating that caterpillar was a bad bad idea all right and he lets it happen and sometimes god does the same with us sometimes he sees our sin he doesn't approve of it He doesn't condone it, but he allows us to make choices. Samson is not learning a thing here. We are just seeing the depths of his sin. And that's what we really need to understand about Samson's story. We need to understand that sin is an illness, that it corrupts every part of us. And that we must take it seriously. And so I want us to see three things here as we look through the rest of Samson's story. First, let us see that left alone, sin grows. Left alone, sin grows. We see here in the next part of our story that Samson is still walking around in the land of the Philistines because he's still not afraid. He doesn't think anything can touch him. And he sees this girl named Delilah, which I'm sure at the time was a very pretty name. Now we hear Delilah and we have all these connotations with it. But I'm sure then it was great, kind of like Gomer, okay? If you've read Hosea, then you get that reference, okay? <clears throat> but you have, uh, you have Samson and he falls in love with this girl. But here's the thing. Haven't we seen this play before? Haven't we seen this movie before? Like, Samson is in a place where he shouldn't be, sees a girl, falls in love with her. We've seen this all play out before, and it didn't end well that time. But this time, the desire, the passion has just grown. Because Samson never took control. He never accepted that he had a problem to begin with. And this time, notice... He doesn't consult his parents. We don't see that anywhere in the word. 
In fact, we don't even see a marriage happen here. Now, it could have. I'm not saying it didn't, but we don't see it happen. It's not, it's not even implied that it happened. We just see them have a relationship together. We have gone from, oh, I see a girl and want to get married, which is not great, but, you know, <clears throat> to I see a girl and I want her. And I'm not going to listen to anybody. It has grown. <coughs> Excuse me. Not only that, but we have seen that he has no regard. He has no regard at all. Excuse me. He has no regard at all for the law. He is once again going after a girl outside of Israel. And truly, our sin does the same thing. Our sin, if we don't recognize it, grows. Our sin may start out like a dot on a piece of paper that we look at and we go, ah, is it really bad? Have I really done anything that evil? We begin to justify it a little bit. We begin to measure it against other people and say, ah, it's, it's okay. I can have a little bit of that in my life. And, but we ignore it, and we just leave it alone. And it grows, and it grows, and it grows to the point where our second point is that we think we are in control of it, but it controls us. <coughs> Sorry. This is what happens when you ignore a cold, by the way. Well, you get to the point where you think we think that it controls, we control it, but it controls us. Delilah is approached here by the lords of the Philistines. And what we know from other passages in Scripture is that there were at least five of these guys. They come to Delilah and they say, hey, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So 5,500 pieces of silver if you will help us figure out a way to catch Samson. That's life-changing money. I don't care what life, what period you live in. This is life-changing money. And here's the thing. I don't think Delilah really needed all that convincing because she's a Philistine girl, remember? And what has Samson been doing for the last few years to the Philistines? It's not been good things. He's been killing them. He's been making them go into to hunger because he's destroying their crops. They, she, she probably didn't like him to begin with. Okay? It's kind of like... You know, you find out there's a pretty girl, and you're like, oh, she's cute. And then you find out she's a Cubs fan, and all of a sudden, it's like, forget it. I'm done. Okay? I'm done. Okay? She didn't need, I don't think she needed that much convincing, but 5,500 pieces of silver is a pretty good little add-on to it. And so, she seduces Samson. But watch Samson here. Every time she asks him, hey, Tell me where your strength comes from. Tell me how I can bind you. Samson gives a reply. Okay, <clears throat> I love my wife. If she comes to me and says, tell me where your strength comes from so that I can remove it from you, I'm going to start asking questions, okay? I'm not going to give her a response, all right? But Samson thinks he's in control here. He thinks he's in complete control here. So he begins playing with fire. He says, well, if you do this. And notice that each one of his responses grows a little bit closer to the truth. 
So uh, if you do this, well, I was just joking with you. If you do this, oh, I was just joking with you. Okay, if you put my hair in a weave, okay, we're growing a little bit closer. He thinks he's in complete control. Sin does the same thing to you and me. We think, oh, I have this little addiction. I have this little thing in my life, but I've got it under control. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I've got this little thing, this little pet that I have. And as long as I keep it in its cage, as long as I feed it once in a while, it's fine. I have this little relationship that's inappropriate on the side, but as long as I keep it where it's supposed to be, in the, in the place that it's supposed to be, it'll be fine. Matt Chandler shares this awesome illustration. He said, <clears throat> he says, you know, it's kind of, he was watching a television show one time about animals attack. And, and I've looked up this video, and it, it is kind of striking, but he's watching this video, this show, and they're talking about that there's this advertisement they're wanting to do for hair products. And so they have this beautiful model with this beautiful hair, and they want her to sit next to a lion. And, you know, it's like the beautiful mane of the lion. You can have a beautiful mane of hair yourself if you use our product. And so they have this beautiful lady sit next to this lion, and the lion attacks her, mauls her. And then the next shot is the shot of them interviewing the caretaker of the lion, and the guy's going, I never saw that coming. I never would have thought that a lion would have attacked somebody. It's completely beyond my comprehension. And Matt Chandler's like, it's a lion. Uh, what did you think was going to happen? And the guy's like, but I raised it from a little I raised it from a little cub, and I petted it, and I stroked it, and I fed it, and I trained it, and it was always so nice to me, and it made me feel good inside. And then it grows up, and then it destroys you, and you're surprised. It's still a lion. It's still an apex predator whose DNA is to kill and to eat anything smaller to it. I love going to zoos with little kids. You get great pictures of lions. You just press the little kid right up to the glass, and the lion sees a treat and walks right over. If you don't believe me, I will take you with little kids, and we will show you. If you ever want to see the polar bear at St. Louis up close, take a three-year-old. It's in their DNA. They see treats, and they come. We do the same thing with sin. We have this little bitty sin, this little bitty passion. We see this Philistine girl, and we just want her, and we think we're in love. We have this little bitty addiction to a TV show, maybe, that we shouldn't watch. We have this little bitty addiction to whatever it may be. We have this flirtatious relationship that we know is kind of bordering on something dangerous. We have a food problem. Whatever it may be, we have this little bitty sin and we stroke it and we pet it and we feed it occasionally and we think it'll all be okay. But the problem is, is that it grows and it grows and the DNA of sin is to destroy. And that's what ultimately happens. It's what ultimately happens to Samson. You see there in verse 20, 21 says, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep 
And I, he says, I will go out as the other times. She's cut his hair, by the way. I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza, bound with bronze shackles. And he ground mill at the prison. That one phrase right in the middle is haunting. Did you catch it? And the Lord, he did not know that the Lord had left him. It's a haunting phrase. Now, if you're a good Baptist here, you're probably saying, but I have Jesus. I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior, and I cannot lose my salvation. And to that, I would say, amen. However, there are times in our lives when God disciplines us and he removes his hand of blessing upon us. And he did not know that God left him. Samson, this man that had been full of power, that had known nothing but the blessing of the Lord despite his disobedience, was so out of touch with that same spirit that he did not know when it had left him. Would you know? Would you know this morning? And the Lord left him. It's a sad picture. It's a humbling picture. Samson, this man of great strength, this savior of promise, is now blind, shackled, and humiliated. He is a something to be displayed at parties. This is what sin does. And we've seen it. We've seen how bitterness and jealousy can destroy relationships and even churches. We've seen how inappropriate relationships or pornography can destroy families. We've seen how addictions can destroy lives. We've seen it. The lion has teeth. The lion has teeth. And though it may not attack the first time, or the second time, or maybe even 20 years down the road, it is always in the DNA of the lion to destroy just as it is always in the DNA of sin. So what do we do? What do we do? We must see repentance as the cure. First, that means taking sin seriously. Matthew 5.29 says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus is speaking in hyperbole here a little bit as saying something grand to make a point. But the point is this. Don't mess around with it. Don't mess around with it. If there's something in your life that is causing you to sin, then you deal with it, and you deal with it now. Samson did not deal with it. He ignored it, 
And in the end, the thing that caused him to sin, his eyes that lusted after women, they were taken from him. We must take sin seriously. We must also understand who has the cure and go to him. Luke 5.31 And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We need to understand that we have problems. We need to understand that we have sin in our lives. We need to take it seriously, and then we need to understand who we need to take it to. If you find that your body is diseased, you don't simply ignore it. You take it to a doctor. You find the one that has the solution. And Christ stands before you and I this morning, and he says, repent not just to those that are lost, but to those that are his, because we still sin. And he says, repent, come to me, and see if I don't restore. See if I can't heal. Lastly, we must continue to be on guard. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He is speaking there to us. Satan wants nothing more than to destroy the witness of the believer, to silence him or her forever. Not saying we lose our salvation, but we lose our effectiveness. We must be on watch. We must not think we have arrived. Lately, I have been coming into several people that believe that they no longer sin. And I think to myself, if only that were true. But by denying that, they are denying the truth that they need Christ still. Folks, we need him. We must remain on guard, not only for ourselves, but for each other. To in kindness and love say to a brother or sister, I see this in your life and I am concerned. And I, am, I love you too much to allow you to continue down this path. It's a heavy message. Sin is nothing to be trifled with, and it is nothing to joke about. Though we have, at times, been lighthearted tonight, to today. And yet, at the end of this passage, is one of the greatest, greatest lines in all of Scripture. Verse 22. Samson has been humbled. He has been stricken. He has been blinded. But in verse 22, it says, But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. This is the great truth that we'll look at more next week. Samson had walked away from everything that the Lord had before him. And sin had destroyed him and humiliated him to the point where I am sure that in the lowest of lows, Samson thought there is no coming back from this. But the hair of his head began to grow again. Brothers and sisters, maybe you have been trapped by sin. Maybe it has even destroyed you. Maybe some of you sit here this morning and the reason that you don't get more involved within our body, within our family, is because there's sin holding you back saying, you can't do that, you can't do this. 
People are going to judge you. People are going to find out about this. They're going to think badly about you. Maybe this morning you yourself feel that shame. There's grace. There's forgiveness. There's mercy. Samson ran about as far as you can run, and he fell into the one of the most gruesome, awful situations that any of us can imagine. But the hair on his head began to grow again. As long as there is air in your lung or air in your lungs, God has a plan for you. And he extends grace to you, extends forgiveness to you. This morning, will you come to him in repentance, saying, please forgive me, I don't want to live this life anymore. If we want to be healthy believers so that we can have a healthy church, that's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take. Are we willing to do that? I'm going to ask Mike and Jennifer to come back up. We're just going to have a time of response. We're going to have a time for you just to come before the Lord. Maybe that means coming up and talking to me. That's fine. Maybe it comes to the altar. I, maybe it just means you sitting at your seat and having a deep and serious conversation with him. Maybe it means you standing and, and worshiping the greatness of who he is and that he does provide that grace. I don't know what the Lord's telling you, but don't, don't just ignore it. Respond this morning. Let me pray with you and then we'll have that time. Father, we come before you and we thank you for everything you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the picture of Samson. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, that we can learn from others and from others' mistakes. Father, I pray this morning that you would remind us of the seriousness of sin, that you would remind us of how it destroys us little by little. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would come to the great physician this morning that we would seek you out, that we would desire more, Lord, and that we would repent. Lord, we want to be a church that is healthy. We want to be a church that is used by you. We want to be a church that's filled with your spirit, Lord, and the first step for that is repentance. And so, Lord, I pray that you would lead us as individuals into that. I pray this in your name. Amen.